0: I've been thinking this morning about hospitality. You know, hospitality is a big thing for me and my family uh, growing up. Maybe it's a big thing for you and your families. I think it's a big thing for a church to be hospitable to 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 people that come. I love going to my mom's house because she she can she can know before. I, I, I tell her anything, what I need, you know, she'll just produce food and different things for me, almost magically, you know, she's just like that, right, Jackie? And uh, we love, we love to, to be with our, our families at Christmas and, and enjoy the hospitality. And it's really important to God, too. God talks about the gift of hospitality, of being hospitable, and, 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 and when it comes down to it, when I think about hospitality, I think about its opposite, which is like rejection, You know, you can either be received warmly in a hospitable manner, or you can be rejected. And that's kind of the opposite, in my mind anyway, of hospitality. Something that God's shown me this week as I've been looking at the scripture that we're going to be uh, pondering today from Acts 28 is this idea that God's work that he does by his spirit flourishes in an atmosphere of hospitality in an atmosphere where we are open to receiving strangers, you know, people that we don't know, warmly and lovingly, and open to receiving each other. And maybe most importantly, and maybe, this, maybe all other hospitality is a reflection of this, open to receiving what Jesus has for us. You know, because he has uh, made this banqueting table, right? And he's invited us into his family. And we all... Uh, live in, in the shadow of, of God's hospitality to us. I mean, think about a great host makes all the preparations. I'm not going to name names. There's some people in this church that are amazingly hospitable. And you go into their house, it's, and it's not just the pastor's family. It's any family. You just hear, the, it's notorious. Any family that goes to their house. Uh, all, all has been thought out. Uh, they've thought about what the people that are coming over enjoy or what they think they might enjoy, what they heard they think they might enjoy, and they have produced it, you know? Special kinds of drinks, special kinds of food, food allergies. And these people are just on, on the ball, and they they, <laughs> they take care of you. And that's what God has done for each of us. We've talked about it this morning. In Jesus, he's made every... every uh, he hasn't left anything to us as far as how we get into his house, to his banqueting table. He has made all of the preparations for us through Jesus. And he said to, to, to us, come to me. If you're weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Here's a new white garment to wear. Forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Sit at my table. The table that was prepared by my son, Jesus. Uh, put this ring on your finger. Put this robe on you. Everything is forgiven. If you just read some of the parables of Jesus, from like Luke 15, the, the, the lost son, the prodigal son story, you see this amazing hospitality. And God's made every, every uh, overture to us to make it possible for us to come to him. Yet still, people reject God's hospitality and his offer of salvation um, because they want to go their own way. But uh, hospitality... Is just being accepted fully, being loved uniquely, uh, and rejection—it's kind of the opposite. And the work of God that He wants to do flourishes in an environment of hospitality. I want to draw your attention to so Matthew 13. So Jesus had just gotten telling, a, gotten through telling a bunch of His stories, His parables, and He came to His hometown. And he began teaching the people in their synagogue. And they were amazed. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And it says, and they took offense at him. You know, they rejected him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You know, they, were, they rejected Jesus. They rejected, they certainly they showed the opposite of hospitality to Jesus. And, and one of the interesting things that I'm noticing is that in an environment of hospitality, the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of God flourishes. I mean, think about that. That Jesus was not, did not do many miracles there because of people's lack of faith because their lack of acceptance of him, and in fact, their rejection of him. And if you look, there's many other passages that talk about faith and lack of faith. Your faith has healed you. Um, I'm astounded at your faith, their lack of faith. There, there's this acceptance or rejection of Jesus, which many times determ- determines the type of ministry that's able to happen. So in Acts 28, uh, we come to, and I'm going to back up now, this is a vacation destination. This is St. Paul's Beach in Malta, present day. This is where, the, we talked about the shipwreck last week when Paul was in a storm and they cut the lifeboats and the, the, the thing was dashed to pieces. This is the beach where he purportedly ended up. But it didn't look so nice back then as it does now. Now you can ride the segways around the beach. I mean, the Apostle Paul would have been astounded at how cool that was. But they did not have segways back when Paul was there. But they did have some islanders. And I think it's so cool. The Bible is, these are true stories that really happened. And so there's like real places that are like named after things that happened in the Bible that has these true stories. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see, to see that, that there's a real place. And, and on this uh, uh, St. Paul's Beach, there's St. Paul's Hotel, you know, and, and there's allusions to this story. It's like the most cool thing that's ever happened in that place. And so that's their big thing. I kind of want to go there for my 10th anniversary. Where's Jackie? Yeah, yeah, want to go? St. Paul's Beach. It's a ministry trip. It's it's, it's it's called Research, people. How am I supposed to preach without being there? All right, so you recall, Paul, the other prisoners, and the soldiers, they were all saved by following the plan the Holy Spirit gave to, gave to Paul. Everyone stay in the boat. They cut the lifeboats. And uh, they all made it to shore. So we pick it up in, in uh, Acts 28. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. There's the hospitality. Wouldn't you like to be someone that people said, they show unusual kindness. That's a cool reputation to have. I, that, that really stuck with me. I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> They showed unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and, as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he has escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. After waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. That must have been pretty pretty cool. Now, this this kind of thing had happened before, where they thought they they said you know Paul is a god and you know Peter is Hermes. Remember that whole thing? And then they like tore their clothes and like no, we're not god, but. uh, In this situation, these people just had, they were just islanders. They were like a tribe on an island. They didn't really know any better. They thought Paul was a god uh, because they had witnessed a miracle, an amazing miracle. These people knew what this snake did. Every time the viper bites, you die. You die, you die, you die. Every time. And so... He shook it off in the fire, and they're just staring at him, waiting, waiting for just, Lady Justice or whatever, their, their kind of abstract idea of God or, or for, the force or something uh, to take his life. And nope, didn't happen. So then, uh, you know, the whole island's amazed. And we pick it up in verse 7. was a state nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. There it is again. A generous acceptance of warm hospitality. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Ever heard of Malta fever before? Yeah, that's probably what it was. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. From beginning to end, these people were awesome to visit, highly hospitable. And I really believe that uh, that spirit just allowed God to do some amazing things. I think, I think the love of God and the compassion of God for these people that were not reached people who did not know him or of him, I, th- I think God was just delighted to show them these two, two awesome miracles. And everyone... Far from rejecting uh, the Holy Spirit and what he was doing, like Jesus' hometown family did, um, they accepted it fully. And as a result, it doesn't happen too often in these accounts, but everyone was cured. It says, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. There's no, except for that guy, everyone got cured. There was an amazing atmosphere that got created by the faith uh, of these people and the hospitality that they offered, and that they received. And I think this is one of those things that is instructive to us at New Life Fellowship. Uh, A.W. Tozer famously said, God is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He goes where he's wanted. Uh, he is, he does not, God does not force himself on any person. The Holy Spirit doesn't force himself on any person. But where he is wanted... Accepted, where people hospitably receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, he can do amazing, amazing things. And next week, we're having the Holy Spirit weekend here. Is there power in particular people that come through? Uh, well, the, the speakers that we're having are people that have walked in an amazing amount of authority. They're people that are amazing teachers. They're scholarly. They're people that have, have a track record of praying and, and seeing people healed and seeing God touch people and seeing God fill them with this Holy Spirit, but they're not magic. You know, we create an a- atmosphere in ourselves for whatever we want God to do for us by either being open to receiving from God with discernment or, or to have that, that cynical kind of, you know, whatever, it's for everyone else, not me. Oh, that's stupid. I don't need that. I'm fine how I am. We can either have that kind of attitude or we can have the attitude of hospitality that warmly receives and even desires and hungers for what God could do. And I think that a lot of what will happen next weekend determines on what kind of atmosphere we provide. You know? We're going to be hospitable to our guests. We're going to be hospitable to each other. We're going to be hospitable to families that come uh, to to the church uh, and and visit. But we're also, above above all that, we need to be hospitable to the Holy Spirit. And this week... Preaching into this, prepare your heart to meet with God. Open yourself up. Say, God, you know, there's some, there's some things in my life I need a touch from you. I need to connect with you. God, I haven't really gotten it. I feel like everyone gets it except for me. I've given up trying to seek after you. Um, if you've thrown your hands up, I invite you this week to reopen that door and make yourself, because you can only speak for yourself. A hospitable place where the Holy Spirit can come in and do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Because that's the truth. The power of God is in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that raised Christ to life. And it says in the Bible that the Spirit that raised Christ to life will also give life to your mortal body. It's the same Spirit that's at work in us. So will we be a hospitable vessel as individuals and as a church? It's kind of up to us. So pray. Take a day to fast. Um, take some time to journal and think about what do you want Jesus to do for you. What do you need Jesus to do for you? What do, what is God asking of you? What can you offer to Him afresh? Uh, and I, and I think that this story, it's a beautiful story, uh, especially just because these people had this unusual love and hospitality, and they were open, and God was pleased to cure everybody that came. Beautiful thing. So now we come to the concluding section of our, of our uh, book, this whole study, Acts 28.11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put it in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up And on the following day, we reached Buteoli. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the three taverns to meet with us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. These people had walked on foot 40 miles to greet Paul. So think about how heartwarming that was for him to to meet these, uh, these believers at such a difficult time. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. Paul is just assuming that all these people have just heard rumors. He's trying to set the record straight. But they replied, we've actually not received any letters from Judea about you. And none of our people who have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we do want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. This is a lot like when we share with people. Some are convinced. Others don't believe. Maybe they will someday, but they're not there yet. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. Quote The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding, you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. We began our Acts series the first day of our River Dwellers study last fall. We we have now ended it the week before the Holy Spirit conference with the author of that book, which is really cool just how that worked out. But the book of Acts, uh, it ends where it began, uh, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. We remember uh, Jesus shared the great commission with his disciples, right before he ascended. Um, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And right before he ascended, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what this story in Acts has been about. It's a little bit disappointing for those of us that are riveted by Paul's life and wanting to hear what happened when he finally arrived at Rome and stood before Caesar. It doesn't tell us. Tradition tells us and history tells us that it didn't end well, but it's not recorded there, so we don't get to see the end of the Paul story that we've been following for, for the last many months. And the reason for that, I think, is pretty clear. It's, it was never about Paul. It was about the gospel. It was about the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's about the, being witnesses in Jerusalem, where you live, in Judea, the surrounding area, Samaria, those who are way outside of your, uh, your culture and your area, to the ends of the earth. That's what this whole book has been about. That's why I've insisted uh, on calling it The Acts of the Holy Spirit, and, and, uh, and many people have picked up on this kind of cute way of talking about it. But Acts 28 is the last chapter in the book. We are living in Acts 29. We are living on mission with the Holy Spirit in similar ways uh, to the way that Paul and the disciples lived on mission with the Holy Spirit. It continues in us today. Um, I'd like to read with you just a real, something I read that really uh, hit at home for me when I was thinking about uh, us concluding our time in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts, this is C. Peter Wagner. The book of Acts ends where it began, preaching the kingdom of God. Acts begins with Jesus gathering his disciples before Paul was a believer, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 30 years later, the kingdom of God had indeed spread into many parts of the Roman Empire through Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, Barnabas, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and many others whose names we will never know. The fulfillment of Jesus' desire that his followers make disciples of all nations had started with great power and determination. It has continued through almost 2,000 years. And now, for the first time in history, some missiologists are saying that there is light at the end of the tunnel. It is not beyond the realm of possibility that the Great Commission can actually be fulfilled in our generation. And while we probably do not fully understand what God has in mind for the fulfillment of that commission, we can be sure that it includes the presence and power of the gospel be within access of every soul in every language on earth. That particular goal is achievable in the foreseeable future. Furthermore, to the degree that we use Acts as our missionary training manual, that possibility can become even more readily a reality. I thought that was such a really cool thing to think about how, um, from, the, from the perspective of one of the most highly respected missiologists who looks at world missions, uh, there is gospel access in almost the whole earth. As far I mean, people being able to access that message, people that are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and we're closing that gap. And it's possible that within our lifetime, the whole the ends of the earth will be reached with gospel access. And I'm going to shift gears just a little bit, uh, talking about uh, the the trip that I just made to Bosnia in Germany. Uh, they called it a vision trip, but this was. That sounds very you know super spiritual, like you find your spirit animal and you climb a mountain and you know it 's it's not, it's not that kind of thing the The vision that we 're talking about is the vision of world missions and what the Holy Spirit is continuing to, to do and to, and to and to say uh, throughout the earth you know acts twenty nine stuff the same stuff that we 're a part of and so I wanted to share a little bit about this trip using some slides uh, and and also to give you a picture of how our particular church, which fits into a particular denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, thinks about missions and and does missions. Because I learned a lot of things I did not know before. And it was very uh, exciting to me. So first of all, the CMA, we, we talk about things like local missions and global missions. You've heard this, right? Talk about being a local missionary. I'm a missionary to my own country. The denomination that we're a part of actually defines the word mission uh, as taking gospel access to a place where there is no gospel access, okay? So our denomination, you know, di- which is different from other Christian denominations that do things differently, our denomination is totally focused on bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, salvation through faith in him uh, to places where that message is not being preached, okay? So 85% of the missionaries that we support are in places where less than 2% of the population is evangelical Christian. That's just astounding to me. And you know what the Christian Missionary Alliance does when the population reaches 2%? They leave. Because the whole mission of the Christian Missionary Alliance is to come alongside, mentor, nurture, grow the church and then, and, and to have it be led by the people that actually live in the countries. So it's kind of like the opposite of a colonial idea of like we take over and, and we, we impose our culture on other people. We say, what's your culture? Jesus wants to do a fresh expression in, in your culture, in your way. You do it. And we will offer you resources and we will offer you mentorship and anything that we can do. And also we're open to learning from you. And then once all those people are empowered in doing the mission, they leave. To me, that was uh, such an astounding thing to, to realize because it's very, in my mind, very Christ-like. It's like do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's like um, looking not to your own, own interests because everyone's all about branding these days, marketing and branding. It's all about getting your name out there, right? So we put our logo and our name on everything, try to get notoriety and build our little kingdoms. But in a place like Bosnia, where I was at, the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination, has several workers there, but they have not planted any Christian Missionary Alliance churches. They have contributed to building up the Evangelical Church of Bosnia and Herzegovina. And they've done that through investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into um, either renting or helping churches build their own buildings. They they are not owned by this Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, Building up a a seminary, a, a Bible school, which is not owned by the Christian Missionary Alliance for the purpose of Getting a, getting a critical mass of believers so that they can continue doing it in their culture, in their way. Because we don't know best. You know, um, missionaries coming in don't know best. The people that are there know best how to reach their own people. So, truly an astounding thing. So, the, the interesting thing about Bosnia is that, you know, the population is, I think, 95% Muslim. It's like 3% Orthodox there's a little bit of Catholicism in there, but it's, it's like .000000 something uh, evangelical. It's very small. There are 700 believers in the whole country, okay? People that believe in, in, uh, in Jesus, in the Bible, those kinds of things, and, and the things that we talk about. <clears throat> 700 believers. So between the four pastors that I went on this trip with, we had more people in our churches combined than believers in the entire country, which is mind-blowing. Uh, but God is, is working, he's moving, he's reaching people in, in, in amazing ways. This is the, uh, I'm just going to show some pictures and kind of tell you some stories, uh, but you kind of you get the idea uh, about our denomination. Once, that, once we hit that 2%, we leave, and we are just a story that people tell. Um, there were some people here, but they're gone now. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. No CMA churches. Uh, this is where we stayed at the guest house in Sarajevo. And this is uh, Sarajevo in Bosnia. You can see a minaret in the background. And uh, it's, it's actually pretty cool during the day you hear the call to prayer, the the, the um, Muslim call to prayer during the day, which is pretty interesting and pretty. That is a the springs in the middle of Sarajevo. And this is the team I was on. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy on the right, as you might see. And then uh, we had had three other pastors from our denomination that were there. Really cool thing about... Bosnia, and, and uh, Sarajevo in particular, we've felt a real connection to them because, first of all, Sarajevo and Saratoga sound similar, which kind of cool, but we also learned they have all these different natural sp- springs that flow underneath the, uh, the city of Sarajevo, and so these are the Sarajevo springs, and the, the, uh, the lure is that if you drink that water, you'll come visit again, which I think is true because I've been there a couple times. But they have, they, have, uh, they have this water, and it's, it's kind of like a place with, with that. And it uh, just fee- has a similar feel in some ways. This is Izvor. This is the, called the Source Center. This was started uh, by the Christian Missionary Alliance. Actually, uh, through, through help from New Life Fellowship, you'll see in our budget that we support part of their monthly rent uh, to exist. This is in an awesome location in Sarajevo, and it is a community center. Uh, they, all, all it's about is building relationships with people and trying to love the community and help the community with things they actually need. So they do baking classes, they do kids programs, uh, they, they teach, do TESOL, teaching English as a second language. A lot of people in business, people are working on, on their English. And they're just building relationships into the community and, uh, and b- building those personal friendships. And that's kind of the way that you do ministry in a place like Bosnia that has been torn apart by religious wars. You know, you recall in the 90s, uh, you probably saw the news story of that Slavidov guy that was the general that uh, authorized the the bombing of um, Mostar, and he actually drank the poison. Did you hear about this story? Yeah, so that's a, that's a big deal. Like I was riveted to that because I know that story, and um, and he was the the one of the generals or leaders that authorized like ethnic cleansing in Bosnia. But basically, we have a we have a difficult time in a place like Bosnia because. Um, Your, your religion is tied to your race, so it's an ethnic identity, um, more than like a personal conviction. So if you are Croatian, you know, you're Catholic. If you're Serbian, you're Orthodox. And if you're a Bosnian national, you're Muslim. You you don't, you're not going to change your religion, it's just who you are. Um, And so a lot of times, groups are trying to get people of their race to be more committed to the faith, but they're not usually trying to reach each other with, to get you to be this or that. And so uh, it, it's a very foreign and strange concept for people to come to faith in Jesus, and they, but they do, and at great, sometimes at great cost. Uh, but a center like this is a way for, for Christianity to get a better reputation among the culture because if you'll recall, in the 90s, you know, Catholic, pro Croatian Catholics and Serbian Orthodox people committed genocide against the Muslim people of Bosnia, just sniping them, killing them. And it was like a horrendous thing. And then pretty much everyone joined into that. So as you might imagine, things like the cross and Christianity are looked down upon because this is these are the people that perpetuated this kind of violence. So this is a way to connect and to reach people. And there were some amazing stories of how God did just that. Um, these are a couple of our workers over there. And this is uh, our, our drive over to Mostar. This is the Mostar Bible School that the... Christian Missionary Alliance has helped to restore. It got bombed out and destroyed, but now it's a beautiful facility. It's not seminary. It's not like academic level, but it's not not Sunday school level either. It's between the two, and it trains pastors and, and Christian workers who are Bosnian nationals. Uh, this is a huge cross um, erected, I believe, by the Orthodox Church overlooking a, a, a Muslim area. So this is actually a, a very offensive symbol to the Bosnian people because it symbolizes we have dominance over you. Isn't that awful? So the cross that we think of, we have it up here. We think about the the self-giving love of God through Jesus Christ. They think of it as a symbol. It even looks pretty terrifying. Um, It's not a pretty one. It's a symbol of, to them, genocide and dominance and kind of a, a power thing. So the churches in Bosnia don't have crosses, which is the right thing to do in that situation. God bless them here we have Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And you see Jesus um, hugging someone. And I think that that is really cool. I really thought that was cool. That's the outside of the Mostar Bible School. uh, Those, you see all those pebbles there, like in the ground, that cobblestone's everywhere. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Amazing. Look at that. Mostar, it was a beautiful day in Mostar. We got to see it. That's the bridge that got exploded by that general that just died last week uh, during the war. That's all restored. And just, there it is. Don't forget what happened. That's at the edge edge of the bridge. And there's me making the bridge look good. (laughs) I think it actually is thinning, you know? It kind of makes me look... (laughs) If you wear stripes, it makes you look thinner. Being next to a bridge makes me look thinner. Actually, all these pictures got smushed a little bit when I imported them, so they're even worse than usual. I mean, that's not good. And I couldn't—I don't have technology to fix it. Yeah, I'm kind of a roundhead. Here's a building. Here's a building that got uh, sh- bombed out during the war. It's still not been fixed. But you see, um, one of the one of the pastors we met, pastor p- pastor in uh, Sarajevo, uh, he—it's just really funny. He he became a, a Christian. Uh, during the war he he was uh, a fighter he was a he was a, in, in the, a soldier, and he was uh kind of off duty and he was living in a, in a place kind of like this and there was uh, someone who shared about a pastor a local Bosnian pastor that was sharing about Jesus with him and he was a, he was a very dedicated atheist, and he's very smart. so if you talk to him, it's just amazing how smart he is. Uh, but he had, he had kind of a lot of arguments against. Jesus and faith, and he he just thought that it was ridiculous and stupid, and uh, but the really funny thing is, uh, having heard having heard that message, his friend who shared faith with him went to war, I believe, because they were required to, and he died. And so this pastor's theological library was in this house, and and for some reason, um, our friend who became who had become he wasn't a Christian, but he felt responsibility because it was his friend who had died to like protect the books. So day and night, like at, at night, he'd put on a backpack and he'd, he'd sneak over under the, under the threat of sniper fire, unlike other people that claim to be under sniper fire sometimes in Bosnia. Um, he, he went down the road with, with his backpacks and two bags, and he made these trips at night and carried these books back to his house. And he did it like four times to get all the books out of his house to protect them because he felt some kind of weird sense of responsibility. I think it was the Holy Spirit. But then, uh, but then, like, this local church said, well, you have all the books, you can be an elder in our church. He still wasn't a believer. He just had the books. <clears throat> Actually, he was a pot farmer. Because okay? <laughs> the really cool thing about the roof getting blown off by the bombs in his house was he was able to grow pot really well in his house. So he had this whole, like, garden of marijuana <laughs> And uh, so he was, like, growing this stuff. He had this theological library, and the Christians were coming to him, like, hey, can we borrow this book? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he became, he became, like, an elder in the church. I mean, this is really funny stuff. Oh, this guy is so funny. I love him. Um, So he's doing that. He's got the books. And as he's reading these books, being an academic, being someone who's very intelligent, uh, he's just learning, and he's, it really starts to make sense to him. And he ends up giving his life to Christ, He's still growing the marijuana plants and everything, but he's Christian. And he's, uh, you know, so it's pretty cool. And uh, and that's his story. So na- now he's the, the pastor of, of the Sarajevo Church. Just an interesting guy. A lot of, y- a lot of young believers in that church. Uh, good story. I didn't plan on sharing it, but it was pretty funny. Yeah. High on his own supply? High on Jesus now. So that's good. That was corny. Okay. There's that building again from a different angle. Here is uh, Mostar from above. is my squishy head. My vanity keeps me taking selfies, you know. I have to be in the picture. It's very important. I'm almost a millennial. All right, this is the church in Zenitsa. This is where Mark and Kathy Aikist are, our partner, our missionaries, are working now. It's a new work for them. Small church. They do They do a soup kitchen during the day, which is really cool. And they tried to just give meals to a lot of elderly people and share the love of Christ with them. It's a small congregation, and uh, they were very—they were delightful, really cool. I got to lead worship there musically, which was a lot of fun. And uh, there's some of our some of our team. This I put a video on our Facebook, but this is the ruins of a sixth-century Christian church, <laughs> which is which Paul mentions in in the Bible, the church in Illyrium in Dalmatia. So this is the foundation of of a actual church building from the sixth century, which is pretty cool. And uh, the funny thing is, because there's no Christianity in the country, there's no like plaque, there's no like, "Hey, this is a historic landmark." Like, just, no one cares. It's just sitting there. And so I could have taken a piece of it and like brought it to the church and had a piece of the true sixth century church in here, you know? Build one of those altars full of relics. No, <laughs> not a good idea. There's Kathy. She's working with us. Uh, th- that's the, the the evangelical church. This is actually the church in, um, in Zanitsa. And this is the place, uh, if you look on Facebook, there's a video. But in 2005, myself, Connie Patty, who's here, uh, Mary Jo Kowaleski, and our previous pastor, pastoral couple, uh, prayed over the city. There was no Christianity in the city at all. No no, God, no known Christians. And we prayed over that city, and uh, God called, um, there's another, another view, Mario, which is this guy over here. We called him Super Mario. And uh, and his wife, Diana, he called them They are from Sarajevo. And they moved there and they found this building. And the Christian Missionary Alliance did a little fundraiser and raised $100,000 to restore the building. And now it's an awesome community center. And these guys are like social butterflies. They go to people's houses. You know, they have like 50... Fifty coffee meetings with people, like per month or something. They're they're just connecting with everybody. They have a huge kids club, and the community just really has a good sense of, like, oh, these people really love us, you know, Maybe, and, and God loves us, and th- it's it's a great thing. They're building a great reputation for Jesus in a place where that's been torn away by war and and be- wicked stuff. So love them, pray for them. They are cool. And when they got married, New Life Fellowship actually paid for a wedding dress, which was pretty cool. We like we did a little thing years ago. Yeah, we love them. This is a place called Doughboy, which I was excited about. Um, It's like D-O-J-B-O-I. I I think about Esperanto, as I think about the Pillsbury guy. Very funny stuff. Small church in Doughboy. And uh, there's the senior pastors on the far right. He's looking pretty dapper, I have to say. And uh, so my friend David Brecht preached there. It was a tiny little room. And uh, I I preached a little sermon there, too. I look very, very spiritual there. That's... (laughs) I must have been being very spiritual at that moment. And then they converted the room into a giant hospitality room where it was just big enough for all of us to sit down. And uh, we we had a really great time with them. They were amazing, amazing people. Um, Some amazing stories. One of the gentlemen in this picture, when he was a soldier in the war, another soldier that was fighting with him uh, shared the gospel with him. And he he didn't really think much of it. Went back to his uh, barracks and he had a spiritual dream, where he says Jesus appeared to him, and, he, and in the dream he got filled with just love. And when he when he got up from that dream, he had he said, "You know, I believe in this." And He went out and found the guy and said, "You know, I think I like experienced what you talked about." And he's he's a believer now. He's been a believer for uh, probably one of the one of the longest, probably one of the oldest believers in the country. You know, he's like 20 years a believer or something like that. And uh, he leads worship at this church. He's a great worship leader, highly gifted. Great to hear his story. And there's another shot of Doughboy. That's not me, though. That's the city. See, you guys, you thought I was kidding, and now I just feel bad. I'm hitting the gym. This is not good. (laughs) All right, and there's a much more handsome person. That's the pastor there. And here we have the minarets in a a cemetery there. We're walking all around the fortress. Back in Zenica for Sunday morning, the videos didn't work. We had some cool videos of preaching and worship leading, uh, but that's, I thought they had a cool church sign. Evangelical Church of uh, there's Back in Sarajevo at the Source Center, and they are feeding us well. Something they're, cool, the cool they're doing at the Source Center, there was a Christian woman whose name was Miss, she was known as Miss Irby, who was um, in Bosnia like a hundred years ago, and she did a lot of good in the, in the country. She started a bunch of uh, work, like orphanages and social welfare and things. And they have streets named after her. So because of how marred um, Jesus' name is in the country because of the war, they've been able to tap into this. And, like, and someone wrote a book about it, and they've, they've, they've done some, something called the Miss Irby Awards where they award people who do good. And they're trying to spread, you know, take some of the, a little piece of goodness that actual Christians did in the past and use that to share the gospel, which is great. That's the first snow in Sarajevo. We got to see that. Very cool. Uh, f- so, so that's, that's, that's uh, Bosnia. We went all over the country and we really saw uh, God doing amazing work and, and all through uh, the Great Commission Fund. And th- then we got to Germany for the second half here. And this is not going to be long because we were there for less time. This is the Lighthouse uh, uh, Community Center, this is a, a CMA center in Germany. And uh, Germany is an interesting place because they, the population, it's very post-Christian. So they're not, there's not really Christians actively outreaching there. They don't really have a concept of people going to church from week to week or wanting to be in church. And we had, to, we had, to, we had to, we this woman that we met who was uh, working at the center who wasn't a Christian. She could not grasp the idea of going to church every week. She's like, seriously? Like, I don't understand. That's just not what they do there. It's a very post-Christian uh, place. Uh, but it's an interesting place. Germany has been very good with taking in refugees from Syria and other places. Uh, there, there's a, some of the nationals we talked to said there's not like a guilt, but there's a sense of national, you know, we did some, some crimes against humanity in our history even recently. And there's the Berlin Wall. So there's the memorial to the, to the Roma who were uh, slaughtered. And, and then we have the uh, uh, memorial to the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust which is, was really uh, striking. This is a huge area. And there's just a sense in Germany that you know, we need to accept the stranger and love them and be kind to them. And everyone is really nice in Germany. Um, everyone you talk to, if you look like you're lost, a German will come up to you and say, hey, can I help you? It's just It was cool to, to, to meet them. And there's a sense of humility in the whole culture of just, we need to, uh, do, to do this. And so they've taken tons of refugees, which is really cool. Uh, we met a bunch of uh, Syrian people when we were there who had fled from Assad, and uh, and uh, many whose families had been killed uh, just by either drowning on the way over. Uh, we had There's heartbreaking stories of people who, uh, this one guy we met, uh, Muhammad, he was a re- really cool guy, he's my Facebook friend now, and his his family heard about Assad on the news, but they didn't think it could ever happen to them because Syria felt very secure to them. And then one day, they, he woke up and he just heard bombs. And it was like shocking to him. And, uh, and he, they, they went into the cellar and they were waiting down there. And his um, uncle and his whole family was killed next door. They ended up, him and his family got out and they ended up on a, on a boat on one of the barges. It's like the size of a stage with 110 people on it. It's floating you know, and and, uh, trying to make it. uh, Got to Turkey, Turkey demanded um, like a hundred thousand dollars per person to come in, it was like something ridiculous. So they were essentially rejected and then one of the the other skiffs just just went down. And you saw some of those heartbreaking pictures that came on our news. There wasn't much but of infants on the beach and things like that, horrible things and trauma that these people have gone through. And all they want to do is go back home. They want to go back home to Syria. And uh, it's very sad. But we met some really cool people, and this is, they're, they're reaching out to, our denomination is reaching out to these folks by taking uh, missionaries that we had that are basically near retirement that were in, the, in Syria and in Lebanon, who are basically very, very, know the culture well, know the language well, they take them to Germany to work with them and help them to acclimate to life in a different country. So that's what our denomination is doing, which I think is so cool. So you have these career missionaries that are coming in that love the the culture, that speak the language, that know the culture, that love the people, and and helping to teach them English, helping them to get settled, and helping to take care of them and share the love of God with them. So we had a great time getting to know them. And it really did, um, you know, it helped me to put a face with something that is just this news item that we see that we don't really know what to do with. Like, uh, it helps you to see that we're all just human, we all have struggles, we have horrible things that happen and and um, it helps you just see and have compassion for people that are having a very different life from you and we learned a lot and grew a lot through this this is us with our group we saw some sites that's one of the workers in in, uh, in Germany. He's a very dynamic worker and uh, this <laughs> this woman over here is from Syria and she uh, she is staying with the these people that they brought in from the Middle East. The CMA to work with these refugees. They they are just awesome and hospitable people. This this girl didn't have a place to live, so they said, "Oh, you can live with us." And then she she lived with them. She became a Christian, and now she just is like a daughter to them. She just lives with them <laughs> there like forever. So, I just love that. I love the hospitality and love of uh, of of the uh, the church and and what they're doing and the environment they're creating for God to do amazing things. And then we just saw some sites. There's Luther, Martin Luther's church, you know. The door at Wittenberg in Germany. If you're, you know, know, about, know about the Reformation, that was 500 years of, of Reformation, that's that. And then, of course, the most important one, me dressed up in Luther's robe, and then me preaching at the, at the pulpit in the, in the church where Luther nailed the 95 theses. Very important. I was a very important part of that. So that's the end of the presentation. Um, we are, we are kind of out of time, but in the, in the coming days... You know, the Great Commission fund that we, that we take an offering for like once a month, all of that money goes to keep these missionaries on the field until the 2% mark is reached and then they leave. But like we are, that money that we give to that is actually reaching people that do not have gospel access. It's very important. And so, you know, I'm, just as, as we're leaving... Uh, there, just leave the baskets on the table over there. If you want to give to the Great Commission Fund, please give an offering uh, in, in one of those baskets. Just leave them on the tables by where Jackie is. And, uh, and we're going to continue giving to the Great Commission. It's, just, it's something where this is missions. What we do here is outreach. We do that in the fall festival. We do that in the, in the, in the spring. Um, Love Saratoga. We're reaching out to our community. But they have gospel access. The Great Commission is reaching people that don't, that don't know about Jesus, that don't have a way to hear about him, that wouldn't just randomly Google it, probably. Uh, And that's where all that money goes. So we're going to be trying to uh, continue to support that because I think it's money well spent. I think it's going good places. It's how we reach our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So as you leave, you can give, and we'll continue giving that and supporting that each month. But thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our lives. Um, Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. And we'll see you on Friday for Holy Spirit Weekend and bring your friends for Sunday. It's going to be awesome. I love you guys. Have a great week.